I'm Heidi Harris. This is the Heidi Harris Show podcast. I do these a couple of times a week. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. You can also catch me during the week doing things on HeidiHarris.com, videos, podcasts, things like that. On Sunday nights, I do a live radio show on 97.1 FM Talk in St. Louis. All that information is up at HeidiHarris.com. About seven years ago, I had the privilege of interviewing the world's foremost marksman, He's an archer who was featured on America's Got Talent, but before that, he had a multi-decade career in archery. I saw that he just passed away the other day. His name was Bob Markworth, and I wanted to bring from the Heidi Harris Show archives the interview to you in case you'd never had a chance to hear it. Joining me this week, Bob Markworth. You know him probably from America's Got Talent. This guy is the foremost archer in the entire world, and his act took everybody by storm at America's Got Talent. Nobody had ever seen anything like it, but he's been doing it for decades. It's all a day in the life of Bob Markworth. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Thank you, Heidi. I'm really pleased to be here today. I'm so excited. Now, you and I met recently, and I said, oh, I've got to talk to him because you've got a heck of a story. Now, a lot of people know you from being on America's Got Talent, season nine, but obviously, before you get to the point where you're the leading archer in the whole world, there's a story before you get there. So let's go back to how you got to that position. All right, I'll tell you. It's because I like to collect stamps. Really? Truly. Okay. I was a little stamp collector at the age of nine. And I got all these wonderful stamps. And my mom and dad, who had been in show business in vaudeville, you know, they would pick up stamps for me. And I had my album. And I would look at all these wonderful, pretty stamps from different countries. And Honduras, where is that? And uh, Nepal, where is that? And I became very, very interested in travel because I wanted to go to all those places as a little kid. And that stuck in my mind. And I went to school. I went to a parochial school, a Catholic school. Where, where did you grow up? Uh, Glendale, California. Oh, beautiful place. I thought so. And, and I'm an only child. So my mother and father sent me to a Catholic school. Incarnation was the name of the school. And uh, I did my eighth, eight grades through that school. And uh, it wasn't easy because I was an only child and my mother couldn't have any more children. In fact, uh, when I came along, they had to stop show business because they didn't want to raise me out of a, a trunk or a suitcase. <laughs> what did your parents do in vaudeville? Well, uh, my father was an actor and he was a singer. Mm -hmm. And my mother was also a singer and a dancer and a violinist. Wow. And they met in a show, and they started working together all over in the vaudeville circuit, Fanchon and Marco and, and oh, going way back. So when I came along, they had to quit. And I was an only child. She couldn't have any more children, so I became a valuable commodity for my parents. And because of that, my mother coddled me which created a stigma on me in school. Interesting, why so? Well, because she would walk me to school, that was okay. Everybody got walked to school that lived close to the, the school on the first day or two, but not every day. <laughs> and I had to overcome this stigma. Hmm. And I was more or less banned from participating with the other kids. Oh, interesting. And uh, that was sad. But anyway, sports took me out of that. I had a good eye and good coordination, and I used to pitch the ball up against the wall uh, of the school while the other kids were playing baseball. And all of a sudden, the coach had, uh, he had uh, the flu, and a substitute coach came. 
during recess, and he watched me. He says, hey, kid, you got a good, good arm. Why aren't you out there playing with the rest of the kids? I said, ah, coach, I, I can't do that. The kids don't want me to play. He said, get out there and pitch. Oh, don't do that, coach. Don't do that to me. So I did. I got out there and struck the first three guys out and hit a double on my first time at bat. Wow. And believe it or not, Heidi, in, in a week, I went from zero to off the charts. And all of a sudden, everybody wanted me to be the pitcher for the team and, and, and the girls that might have shunned me because now I'm talking sixth grade. Okay? Right. Oh, that's a big deal. All of a sudden, boy, I've got lady friends in and, and school, and uh, I became the, the top pitcher. That's amazing. And then I took up archery because my hero, instead of Superman or Captain Marvel, was Robin Hood. I liked what he stood for. Not that he stole from the rich, but he gave to the poor. And I thought that he was anti-establishment, but a cool dude. And that's interesting, because back when you took up archery, that wasn't a real popular thing to no, do. Not, ex not at all. So uh, they, he was my hero. And then, of course, I went to see the movie. My folks took me to see the movie Robin Hood at the age of nine. And suddenly, that's my hero, Robin Hood. And Errol Flynn played the part. And I started growing a mustache at the age of 13 because I was <laughs> emulating, uh, you know. That's funny. Uh, Errol Flynn. And suddenly I became what I wanted to. And then I thought, you know, I'm going to really put my mind to this. And in six months, I was California Junior State Champion. Wow. And uh, six months later, at the age of 16, I won the men's championship and uh, became California State That's News incredible. Champion. So you're 16, you're the state champion in archery. And archery, well, it wasn't something offered in school at that time, right? So you had to do it after school? How did yeah, you practice? Yeah, after school. I okay. practiced after school. I practiced an hour before I'd go to school mm -hmm. and then two hours after school. Wow. And I'd shoot six hours on, on uh, Saturday and I'd go to a tournament every Sunday. And uh, suddenly I was shooting, competing with all the best men. Every, you know, they, they took the top four scores and you'd be on target one. Right. And I was always on target one and the other people were three adults, you know, and they hated me because I was a snotty little kid. You're this kid and you're yeah. showing them up. Right. That's great. So you're 16, you're the champion, so you're going through high school. Not only can you play baseball really well, now you find archery is a great thing for you. Exactly. And, and, and I loved uh, the fact that I was a champion. And then I got to thinking, you know, I love to travel. I got an idea. Let's find a way to make this work. Let's huh? <laughs> find a way to create a job, if you want to call it that, that would bring me around the world and I'd get paid for it. I got it. I guess show business was in my blood. Sure. So I started, I took the prettiest girl in, in the school. I started shooting apples off her head. Now, did she just trust you to do that? Yeah, because I was a champion. I don't think they would have if I wasn't a champion. Right, but you were the state and I champion. I smoothed them a little. Uh, of course you did. Of course. <laughs> but you anyway, did. Uh, I started uh, the act, and at first it was Elks Clubs, Kiwanis, Rotary, and then there were TV shows. And then I did a special show with some stars of the time. They were the Platters. If you remember, oh, sure. they recorded Only You, mm -hmm. The Great Pretender, The right. Magic Touch. And we were on the same show, which doesn't exist anymore. It was called The Larry Finley Show. Okay. And we made good friends. And then every show they did, they'd call me up and say, Bob, 
come on down. We're going to be on the uh, Spade Cooley show. And we'll introduce you to the producer. We'll get you on the show. Isn't that nice of them? Oh, they were my buds. That's so great. Know? We're speaking with Bob Markworth. He's the leading professional archer in the entire world. You probably saw him on America's Got Talent Season 9 or someplace else on the Internet. So you make friends with the platters. They take you under their wing. They're kind of helping you, which is great, because a lot of people in show business don't like to do that for others. They were very magnanimous. Exactly. Very generous. And and my mom and dad being in show business, they were invited, too, to the studio. So we did one television show after. I just followed them around. They, they must have loved show. that. Your parents must have just been in heaven. Oh, absolutely. And then I became well-known, and uh, suddenly I, I had to get a job, too, because I wasn't uh, making that much money. And at 17, I graduated from high school. So uh, I got a job with a newspaper. I have a... a, a newspaper background in advertising and and I write uh, you know stories and so forth so that was good that supplemented my income and I was like almost independent and my mom and dad were very proud and suddenly I got a, a an offer to go to Japan to the Orient and I thought oh my god this is wonderful just what I want and I, I had sent a lot of letters overseas hoping that I would uh, be able to travel. And bingo, got a, a four-month contract with a four-month option. As a teenager, you're not even 20 years old, you're no, getting this. 19, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the, I went to the paper and I says, look, I'll only be gone four months. And, uh, and I, was their, I was their brainchild. I, they created a spot for me on the page. I started as a copy boy, and I wouldn't accept just being a copy boy. I forced my way up by selling ads when I wasn't supposed to, and I kept asking, please promote me to, to an ad salesman. And they said, we've got enough ad salesmen. We need a copy boy. That's why we hired you. And I, I went to the head of my department, Russ Held was his name, and he was the head of the display department. He turned me down. I went to the publisher, Boyd Sanders. He turned me down. I wouldn't take no for an answer. I went to the owner of the paper, Jerry Deal, and he turned me down, and they all had the same excuse. We've got enough ad sales, and when we need another one, you'll be right at the top of the list. Well, I wouldn't take no. So I went out and I started selling advertising. I stole some contracts out of the advertising office. And I went out and I signed up $14,000 worth of contracts. That's a lot. And uh, then I went in to see the publisher again. I says, you sure you don't want to book, you know, to put me in the, as an ad salesman? He says, no. I says, well, what, what shall I do with these? And I held up $14,000 worth of contracts. That's great. He says, we'll talk about it next week. Next week, they created a complete different category in the newspaper that I would run. And it was called Automotive Classified Display. Mm -hmm. And they turned over a page and a half to me. Wow. And they says, whatever you sell above and beyond this page and a half, you get a commission on, plus your salary is now raised. Why? In, in a month, I, I had doubled the amount of advertising. And in two and a half months, I was running five pages of ads. 
That's incredible. So I was their darling child, and, and it was a good career for, for this oh, kid, sure. you know, 18-year-old So, kid. But they weren't happy when you suddenly went, wait a minute, but yeah. Japan is calling, yeah, the archery's calling. I said, look, I'll make you a deal, and I was sure they'd go along with it. Uh, I said, I'll make you a deal. I'll be back in four months. I just want to go and see the Orient. And I'll never forget, the owner of the paper, Jerry Deal, said, Bob, you will not be back in four months. And you have to learn one thing. You have to decide right now which direction you're going to go in life. And that was it. It's I not decided. that hard to figure out, is it? And there's always somebody, isn't there, when you try to do something else in life who's going, why would you ever leave this? Oh, I can think of a lot of reasons, right? Sure. Well, anyway, I went to Japan thinking that, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll finish my four-month four contract. And, uh, and then they picked up the option. I could only do six months and I had to leave the country. I went to Hong Kong, they booked me there, and I was writing, those are the old days before before you had the computer and everything. So I'm writing 50 letters a month, and I'm sending them all over the Orient, even to Saigon, this is before the Vietnam War. And I would go to my post office box to pick up my mail, and I would have 20 different offers. And I would say to my wife at the time, I got married in Singapore in 1959. I was actually 21 when I got married. And uh, I said, well, where, sh where do you want to go? We've got an offer here in Ceylon, which now is uh, Sri Lanka, India, uh, Pakistan, uh, Singapore, the Philippines. Let's choose, you know. So we just went one place after another. Just it never What a fun ended. life. And then the Harlem Globetrotters uh, picked me up in Australia when I was performing at uh, uh, a nightclub down there. And, uh, and then they took me to Europe. So I got to go in those days behind the Iron Curtain. Wow. So I, I had performed in Bucharest, uh, Romania, and Budapest, Hungary, and Warsaw, Poland, and, and East Germany, and so forth. And that was cool. We even had the KGB following us. Really? And so forth, yeah. Wow. Now, that was your wife at the time. Yeah. And you I, were married how long? Well, I was married for a couple of years. <laughs> and then we altered our relationship. Oh, we did. Okay. I was too young to be a fact. Of course you were. I admit this. But anyway, I, and she wanted to leave because she kind of caught me with a... Oh. Yeah, you were too young to settle down to one yeah, woman. Right. Um, so I see. Anyway, I got caught, and I said, "Hey, listen, I'm sorry, but I told you to begin with, a, you know, I'm I'm here in the Orient, and and I love brunettes, <laughs> and they're all brunettes. a kid in a candy store. I died over there. and went to heaven. That's so funny. So anyway, uh, I uh, we we adjusted our relationship, and I took on a girlfriend, and she became my. Uh, Two partners. I had two partners. Oh, well, that's fascinating. That's back earlier than people did that. Nowadays, they aren't. They were more open or less open-minded back then. Yeah, but but it was nice. And, and really, my my legal wife and I were just good buds. And I had my girlfriend. And eventually, the the, the Chinese family of my girlfriend uh, put pressure on me, and I had to uh, divorce make it a proper situation mm. and I married my uh, second wife. Now did you Chinese. always have the, the, an assistant and was that always someone you were involved with romantically? No, I tried not to get involved romantically because that, that, that was a disastrous thing, you know. And I really made an effort not to get involved. But in the beginning I was a little weak, shall we say, and uh, crossed that line. But 
Now I, I just uh, have a girl work with me and it's strictly, uh, we're buds and everything, although we, we're connected because she trusts her life. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I've seen those videos. We're speaking with Bob Markworth. He's the leading professional archer in the world. You probably saw him on America's Got Talent season nine. If not, you've seen him someplace else because he's been everywhere. Uh, I was watching some of those videos from America's Got Talent and I saw you, of course, at the time that you were competing. And it's incredible to me. She's standing there. and She does. You have her life in your hands exactly. and she's depending on your technique. Let's talk a little bit you were traveling with the Harlem Globetrotters. You're traveling to all these countries in the world. Let's talk a little bit about what it takes to be as good as you are and to stay as good as you are in archery because it takes tremendous skill, tremendous hand-eye coordination. What else does it take that, that a person like me wouldn't know? Because I'm, I've never done any kind of archery, but I know there's a lot to it. I'll tell you what it takes. First of all, uh, let's just talk about a sportsman. What makes a champion? Two things. You can be born a champion, they say, or you can be made a champion. Well, it takes a little bit of both. You have to have some natural talent, but you also have to put in the time and the effort. Right. Now, you could take two people that are reasonably the same, and one is a little more talented than the other in whatever sport. But if the other one works harder at it, they will surpass of course they will. the one with the natural talent. Right, because you had the hand-eye coordination even as a child with the baseball, but then when you moved to archery, you still were, were working hours and hours and hours a exactly. day on your skill. So exactly. you had the talent, a natural talent, but you had to develop it. Exactly. And, and it was practiced out to this day, and I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I, let's put it this way. I did three Ed Sullivan shows. <laughs> that's okay. That's a good thing. <laughs> but I practice every bloody day. Still. Still. Yeah. And it keeps my muscles in tone. I shoot as well as I did 40, 50 years ago. Incredible. What kind of bow do you use? What well, kind of bow were you using on America's Got Talent? That's well, the one I've I, seen. I used a compound bow. Okay. And uh, I, I was a purist. I mean, when I was champion, they, they didn't have compound bows. Mm -hmm. It was a recurve bow. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was invented around 1966, and that was the year I came back to America. Mm. I was gone all those years. Never saw my country for, for nine years. Anyway, uh, I shoot what the industry would like me to shoot simply because they have to sell bows. Mm. And like any champion, and I'm not ashamed of it, I get my equipment supplied to me by different manufacturers. Of course you do. There's nothing wrong with that. Musicians do that. All kinds of people sure. do that. Sure. Yeah. Now, when you, now, when you do this professionally, I guess it wouldn't matter if you're doing it individually like you do for America's Got Talent. But in other competitions, which you probably don't need to participate in anymore at this point in your life, but is there a way to modify your equipment? Are you allowed to do that in oh, any yeah. way? Oh, definitely, because there's different categories. Okay. So uh, I use a sight on my bow, and there's, there's a, a classification instinctive where you don't use a sight and so forth. Then there's the compound division, which I'm shooting, and then there's a recurve division. In fact, in the Olympics, they don't allow the compound. Oh, they don't. They, they, that's kind of like the they like they're like the Robin Hood stuff in the Olympics, right? Well, right? well the recurve bow. Is that yeah. what they call? That's like a what I would call a Robin Hood bow because I don't know what I'm talking about. Is that what you're talking about? Well, the it's better than the Robin Hood because what you would call the Robin Hood bow is just a long bow. 
Okay. Just a straight, but so a recurve bow has the recurves on the end, which gives extra thrust. Just like a hundred Hunger Games bow? Yes. Okay. Right. <laughs> that's what that is. That's what we've seen, right? Okay. Right. So that's what they allow in the Olympics. Only that kind. They don't yeah, allow common. Right. Right. And, and and that's good because it keeps it kind of pure and so forth. But did you know that when I was a champion, they didn't have archery in the Olympics? Mm. See, they they had it in the original Olympics in Greece and so forth. But as, as time went on, it was dropped, which many sports are. They're dropped and other sports are picked up. But we still have curling in the Winter Olympics. Yeah. So God bless them because yeah. I love curling. <laughs> but anyway, archery came back into the Olympics in 1972 in Munich, Germany. And that's only because uh, the Germans were hosting the Olympics and they requested archery oh, okay. to go back in. Mm. And the, the host country is allowed to make a request. So they requested archery. And uh, in my day, I couldn't compete in the Olympics because I was a professional. Oh, right. Now, those things have changed. Yes, hasn't that changed? Yeah, very much so. Interesting, because you were already so well-known all over the world at that point, and they said, no way. Yeah, no This guy's way. too good. And that was not just in archery. That was in every sport. If you were a professional, you weren't allowed. And then suddenly the professionals were allowed to, to uh, go into the... Only Olympics. the Russians, professional hockey players, were allowed to do that. But our kids had to be college kids, yeah. and we still beat their butts. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's the important thing. We're speaking with Bob Markworth. He's the leading professional archer in the world. So what was the experience like? How did you get onto America's Got Talent? I've seen your audition, but what made you want to even try out for it? You knew you were great. I mean, I, you're the best guy in the world. Can I be honest? Sure. Okay. I didn't try out for it. This is, this is the God's truth. They called me at different times uh, about in a, in a period of four years. They called me three different times oh. and wanted me to be on America Has Talent. Okay. Wanted me to at least do the audition, not be on, but to do the audition. Right. I turned them down. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not condescending or I don't think I'm a real hot shot or anything like that. But I figured, my God, I worked the Palladium in London. Uh, I, I, I worked the Lido. Uh, I worked the uh, Olympia Theater. You, you didn't in Paris. have much to prove at this point, right? I didn't have anything to prove, and I figured I don't want to go on America Has Talent, so I turned it down. The fourth time, which was like four years later, they called, and they said, uh, "We'd like to, you to come down and audition for America Has Talent." I said, "Oh, I turned it down before. I, let me think about it." So I was going to turn it down, and then this agent called me here in Vegas. And I said, ah, I got the call the other day from America's Got Talent. They want me to do the show, and I, I, I'm going to turn it down. I just stalled him a little bit. He says, why? I says, well, come on. And I, I read off all the places I've been and everything. He says, what have you done lately? And, well, I've done a lot of shows lately, but not big big shows. Not where the audience, where millions of people can see a potential. This is, this is a new audience and, for you. And he made, that was, he made sense to me. And I said, you're right. So they called me back about three days later and I said, yep, I'll do it. So I went down to Hollywood and auditioned and uh, they, they loved it. They were astounded at your audition. I've and seen your audition They sent me tape. on to, uh, to New York. And then after New York, they sent me to Paris because I lived in Paris for a while. So I qualified to do Frances Talent. And wow. uh, it was not, I'm very glad I did it. And they're lovely people. I, I really enjoyed working for uh, America Has Talent. And, and it changed my whole concept of who they are and what they are. 
Yeah, they seem like very nice people. Very nice. Like they're genuinely supportive of talent, which is nice. Very nice, yes. Yeah, we're speaking with Bob Markworth. He's a leading professional archer in the world. You've also written a book, which you were nice enough to give me a copy of, In Search of It. And the next time we chat, we'll talk a little bit more about that. It's called In Search of It, Discover Who You Are, Conquer Your Fears, Make Things Happen. I think that uh, you, Bob, have done all three of these things. You have <laughs> discovered who you are, and you did that very early in life, yes, which a lot of people don't. I admire that. You conquered your fears. Yes. You didn't let anything stop you, which Nothing. I also admire tremendously. And you made it happen. When yes. other people were around you going, no, you're not going to make it happen, you said. And I want to share that. Yes, and I that's am. That's why I wrote the book. This is great. In Search of It, Bob Markworth. Where can people get your book? Well, right now it's on Kindle form okay. in Amazon. But in uh, two more weeks, it'll be available as a book, uh, and also I'll put it through Amazon and my website. Perfect. Thank you for your time, Bob Markworth. Fascinating. Thank you. Appreciate it's it. It's been my pleasure. What a fascinating guy and what a nice guy. I'm Heidi Harris. That was one of my interviews from my archives about uh, about seven years ago, actually. Unfortunately, he has passed away, as I mentioned. Rest in peace, my friend. You were really, truly amazing and so talented and so inspirational. Don't forget you can find me on Sunday nights live as I do a radio show on 97.1 FM Talk in St. Louis, 7 to 9 p.m. St. Louis time. Check it out. You can also find a podcast like this and videos and other things I do at HeidiHarris.com. Until we meet again, remember, you were created for a purpose. I think we know what Bob Markworth was, right? <laughs> find it and live it. Here's Tony Scottwell.